Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's great to have all of you here. Um, I'd like to pray. Father God, thank you um, for blessing us with this day, for this opportunity, um, just this conference, for the many people here and the gifts and um, passions that you've given each of us. Lord, we ask that you'd guide our thoughts, that you'd be honored, um, both in this session and, Lord, in our lives, and that through our lives that you would touch others, Lord, to bless them, to bring them good health, and to bring them to you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Marcia Nayak. I'm um, the International Coordinator for Women's Cycle of Life with Medical Ambassadors International. We're a community health education um, program based out of Modesto, California area, um, but we work in about 100-plus countries and um, partner with a lot more. Um, so so um, my topic today is Promoting Health for Half the Sky, which how many of you have read the book, Half the Sky? I just thought it would be, um, if you haven't heard of it, hopefully you've heard of it, um, Half the Sky, Women Hold Up Half the Sky is the saying, and so key women's health. Um, I wanted to give you a quick overview. We'll just do some current challenges. Can everyone hear me all right? I don't want to speak too loudly because it feels like it's loud. Um, okay. So some current challenges that face women, just look at those. Um, barriers to good health, some positive changes, the possibilities that are out there, perspectives on what is good health, and then some strategies for promoting health. So women in the community face some significant challenges. One of the indicators that you'll hear often is the maternal mortality. Maternal mortality currently, um, according to the World Health Organization, is about 800 pregnancy or birth-related deaths daily around the world. Um, so that's 260 deaths per 100,000 live births. Okay. There are some other challenges that face women. Um, if you heard Dr. Fickert's um, plenary session, he probably spoke about poverty and the different types of poverty. This one is material poverty, financial. Um, and globally, 70% of the people who are living in poverty are female, um, which means that those people have limited access to medical care, health care. Um, they're vulnerable to um, being underpaid um, for unsafe employment or for no employment. Um, they have educational barriers. A lot of times they aren't even able to go to school. If they do start school, they're forced to leave in order to contribute in some way to the home setting. And they're also at decreased protection from violence. Um, when women are in a situation, girls and women are in that situation, they're more vulnerable to being um, sold to improve uh, the financial status of their families. Um, so human trafficking takes advantage of them. Um, and, yes. Um, so sex trafficking and child brides are another challenge that face women in the global community and the local community. Um, sex trafficking, the estimates are all over the place. 
but the estimates are in the millions. In fact, um, sex trafficking is the fastest growing business in the world, um, and it's in the billion dollar business range. Um, there are also um, issues that face women predominantly in um, some of the Asian and African nations, um, Middle Eastern, um, with child brides. So that's estimated around 39,000 child brides um, daily. And so, again, forced to abandon any education that they might have been able to start. Um, They're highly vulnerable to the abuse um, also. Then they're also vulnerable to... uh, sexually transmitted infections, whether they're sex in sex trafficking or child brides also tend to be vulnerable um, physically. Here in the United States, um, fatherless families, so women-led families, um, there are 8.6 million um, single-parent mother-led households, and 43% of those um, families are at or below poverty level financially again. Um, So you can see the bottom graph are married couples that live in poverty, and this is in the United States. In 2011, it was 10.9. And for mother-led households, it was 47.6%. So for single father households, um, there are about 2.3%. 6 or 2.3 million single-parent father-led households, and there are only 25% of those who are at the poverty level or below. So the mother-led households are at an extreme risk. Um, I wanted to also look at some local statistics. I'm from Baltimore, and so I look at... Okay. Got a fan. (laughs) So um, in Maryland, you can see uh, that maternal mortality kind of separates out based on uh, ethnicity. So Caucasians um, have a pretty low rate, um, but in the black community where my church is located, um, the rate is much higher, um, up to 36.9%. And to bring it even closer to home, I wanted to show you some comparisons. And this, um, you can see this in our cities across the United States. So this is just a little case study. Um, Inner Harbor Federal Hill is right downtown um, in Baltimore. It's a lovely neighborhood. Um, The infant mortality rate there is about 5.1 in 2011. And low birth weight was 6.5. In Sandtown, which is the neighborhood where my church is located, the infant mortality rate is 21.2, which is the same as the rate in Vietnam and Honduras. And low birth weight, you can see, is 13.8. So to a large extent, factors such as where we live, Uh, The state of our environment, genetics, our income and educational level, our relationships with friends and family have considerable impacts on our health. Whereas um, more commonly considered factors, such as access and use of healthcare services, often have less of an impact. So it's amazing to me living in Maryland, in Baltimore, and having 
two major healthcare university systems right in the neighborhoods where these statistics are from, that um, they are what they are. Um, and it's something that people struggle with and grapple with on a regular basis. Um, so let's look at a few more. Uh, let's look at the barriers to health care. We have limited education. If you're in a global setting, a lot of times it's a lack of uh, clean water, so contaminated water, lack of sanitation, environmental issues. You have genetic factors, malnutrition, financial strain, lack of employment or employable skills, and lack of medical care. There are also some other barriers to good health that are traditional, harmful beliefs and practices. So female circumcision is one of them. It's practiced in um, Middle East, predominantly in Middle Eastern and African countries, some of the African countries like Mali, where they practice stage four um, female genital um, circumcision. Esoto, that's practiced in um, the Maasai tribes, and one of our organizations, um, Women's Cycle of Life uh, coordinators. She works closely with the Maasai. Esoto is where a girl, when she reaches puberty, is um, given to the tribal warriors um, so that they can prepare her for marriage. And so basically she um, becomes their sexual uh, partner for as many warriors as um, want to help prepare her for marriage. So that um, puts her at great risk, obviously. Um, and child brides we already talked about. Another practice is wife sharing in some polygamous um, cultures. They actually have a hospitality practice where um, if someone comes to visit, one of the wives is given to um, take care of the guests, the visiting guests. And so, again, putting her at risk, and because it's the culture and the tradition, she has no power to refuse. Harmful substances, this is one that is plaguing the city where I live in Baltimore. Harmful substances. Um, Drug addiction is a huge uh, factor that is um, influencing women and infants' health in our city. So it's one that we're working on. Um, Having a very poor support system. You see it over and over again where it increases um, health risks. Violence, abuse, neglect sex trafficking, and broken relationship, marital relationships, family relationships, social and racial. There are positive changes. It's not um, all awful. Between 1990 and 2010, um, the maternal mortality rate actually dropped by about 50%. So for me, that's really good because that helps motivate me and continue to keep me from being paralyzed by the negatives and the barriers. Um, Fertility reduction, so an awareness of your body as a woman and knowing how your body works when you're fertile and how to prevent pregnancy are um, a really powerful tool that help women to um, improve their health because if they can control how often they get pregnant, then they are able to um, have uh, less risks. Uh, Better education across the board whenever I've read The more educated a woman is, the more her health improves and um, improving wealth. And in Bangladesh and Nepal, there were a couple of case studies that showed that there was, um, at the time of maternal mortality declining, those were also increasing. So 
Um, the UN Secretary, I don't know if you saw that the Year of the Woman and the Child has been a big push. Um, he, Ban Ki-moon, he said, we have an opportunity to pr- improve the health of hundreds of millions of women and children around the world, and in doing so, to improve the lives of all people. So um, in my work, we work predominantly with women, but we always, always, always say, you know, this is not just, we're not an exclusive. We're really trying to improve the, the health of the entire community, their husbands, their families, because when you improve a woman's health, usually a mother, she teaches her children, her family improves, the financial status improves, et cetera. It just it has the ripple effect, and that's our goal. So as a woman's status in society improves, maternal deaths decrease. The number of maternal deaths is often inversely proportional to the woman's status in the family and in society. So if we can help women's um, status, then we can improve um, the outcomes. So maternal mortality being one of them. So um, UNFPA... Dr. Osotimahan, and I probably pronounced that incorrectly, so I apologize. This is not seen as just a women's health or a health, um, health issue only. It's a development issue. So it involves both men and women in developed and developing countries, um, and that's imperative. It's important that we're all working together toward this. So some strategies for promoting good health, and here's where the work that um, my organization and like-minded organizations and partners do is um, community health evangelism and neighborhood transformation. Um, Has anyone heard these terms before? Is this familiar? A couple people, yeah, yeah. All right, great. So community health evangelism is the original concept, and neighborhood transformation has birthed out of that concept in the United States with the urban situation that, it, that we have. Um, they share these core values. Um, they're assets-based community development. So we go, when we work with a community, we actually go in um, not saying, what do you need us to do for you, but rather, what are your strengths? What do you do well? Who has what skill set? What are your resources? Looking at the positives and helping them to start identifying strengths and resources for themselves. And then we also um, help ask the questions to what are appropriate solutions for the problems that you see? And so working together with them to do that, we have an assets-based community development approach. We're not a short-term relief approach because as we have seen in our organization, which has been um, established for 30-plus years, when we went in with medical clinics, we originally would go in, physicians, nurses, pharmacists, do a clinic, you know, help improve the health. It didn't last. It wasn't a long-term transformation. And so over time, we realized we really want to see the long-term Effects. We want to see the outcomes changing. We don't want to come back next year and treat the same infection that we treated last year, that we treated the year before, that we treated the year before, etc. We want to see how to prevent these problems and also how to equip the people in their own communities to improve their own lives. So we have a health promotion and a disease prevention focus. So it's if we can move upstream to find where the sources of the problems are and address them, 
then maybe we can prevent a lot more people from getting sick in the first place. It's community-owned. So um, what we do uh, working in communities is we look for ways to work ourselves out of a job. We want to make sure that when we leave a community, there are people equipped to continue this work for themselves and to multiply it into other communities. Um, So when I go in with a training team, I'm looking for those people who have the passions, the energy, the focus, and they're willing to be trained And so then they can go on, and when I leave, they can continue the work. We had a case study in the Congo. Um, This was before the conflict, so um, they had a civil war there. There there were Che teams working in the Congo in about three to five villages, and they were equipping them and training them, and then the war came and so pushed everyone out, all the expats. So the local people who had been in the training were there because they lived there. Everyone else was gone. Ten years after that, when the conflict was resolved, people came back expecting to have to start from square one. Instead, they found that it had multiplied beyond the villages where they started into many more villages because they saw the benefit. The neighboring villages said, what are you doing? Why are your kids healthy? Why are they chubby and ours are sick? And so they continue to multiply it. That is our goal. That is an ideal. Um, It does not always work that way. We have some places where our teams have gone in. They've had um, small success. However, when um, the, the neighbors saw that there was a garden growing vegetables in this place where they had always had desert and always needed relief, rice and beans, Neighbors came to the team and said, plow your garden under because the team that's coming with the rice and beans will tell us that they can't bring it anymore if they see your garden growing here. So it doesn't always go the way you want it to, just to give you a balance, but this is what we're working toward. Um, Community ownership. And they did respect their wishes because we value the community's decisions. And so they did it, and sadly had to uh, move along. It's holistic. So we look at a person as a whole. We don't separate out, um, oh, well, this is your spiritual health, so go talk to the pastor only, or this is your physical health, so go talk to the doctor only. We work together. We recognize God created us, all of us, our body, our emotions, our relationships are all important to him. So it's holistic. And God-honoring as, as, as much as we can. That is our desire. So what is holistic health? It's a concept that concern for health requires perception of the individual as an integrated system rather than one or more separate parts, um, including physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. So This is kind of our sunburst that um, shows what we see holistic health including and I won't read all of them off, but you can see it has the areas of relationship. It has the areas of rest, of environment. It has the areas of um, uh, spiritual growth and of absence of diseases, immunizations, clean water, etc. <coughs> Sorry. So just to give you a, a quick um, sort of a little bit of a definition of spiritual health. We're working toward um, helping people know and love God 
and growing more into the person that God created you to be. So fully healthy, healthy relationships and um, physically, spiritually. Your physical health, knowing your own body, um, how to take care of it, how to prevent disease, being a good steward of your body, and preventing our absence of disease if possible. Um, and then relational health, knowing and loving others and, and yourself. So being able to do that. So we don't um, take development and put a Christian label on it. We actually um, have a comprehensive biblical worldview. So it informs every part of what we do, um, and it guides our development work. So um, it's not separated out. And that, this is actually a quote from Daryl Miller. He wrote a book called Discipling the Nations. And if you ever get a chance to read it, I highly recommend it. It's an excellent reading. So our goal is to build a biblical model of shalom. So shalom is well-being, health, peace with God, with others, with your environment, and with yourself. Um, We move toward health for the whole person. And we know that the framework for shalom was ordained by God, and we recognize that anything that's outside of that is going to ultimately um, be detrimental to, to health. And we have some results. Um, and I'd like to share, if I can make this work, it's just a couple-minute video clip. Um, I might have to call the techie person. Do we have someone who can help? You know, Tim? Okay. He said that I have to click on the play on that screen, but I don't know how to get the cursor to connect with the screen. I don't know if it's this. Oh. We'll just start over. <laughs> it's okay. So while they're while they're getting someone, maybe I'll just open it up and have comments and questions. It went by a little faster than I thought it would, but anyway. Question. Um, you shared the example of the discrepancies between those two neighborhoods in uh, Baltimore County, um, which were very close to each other. Sorry. Um, and uh, what was the reaction in communities? Where, I mean, in those communities, if you did share mm-hmm. the, that information, and um, how have you used that information to get um, some? Mm -hmm. So I moved to Baltimore last year, so I'm new, and I'm actually using the community health evangelism principles, which means that you enter your community and you build relationships and establish them before you start any kind of program or project. So getting to know people and having um, uh, a right to speak. 
you know, so, and also one of the things that we do in our organization is recognize that um, the people in their own community are the ones that will be in their own community long term. So identifying champions who have those passions, and that's the process that I'm in right now. My husband and I, um, my husband's a med-ped physician, and he has similar passions. So we're looking at champions in our community to start training um, with the curriculum for Sandtown itself. And um, one of their identified needs is not the maternal mortality as much as it is the um, uh, emotional care. So that is where um, we'll start. Looks like we're But So, yeah, we are working on in the process right now of just introducing um, the curriculum and our program to our community and to build those relationships. And it's a... It's a it takes time, but um, it's, the infant mortality in Baltimore is pretty well known in the healthcare community, obviously. So there are a lot of different uh, groups working toward, you know, improving the status. Um, I have another friend; she's an um, OB nurse, and she works with um, breastfeeding and mother-baby um, home education, and so they're working on that. Um, so everyone doing their part, I think, uh, you know, that's what we're working on. Yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> Does anyone else have a comment or question? Question. Uh, yes. You mentioned that uh, drug abuse is uh, one of the leading causes of infant mortality and the maternal mortality in both it's very closely related. Mm-hmm. So with um, the curriculum that our, our program uses, our organization, we go through and help um, women, first of all, recognize who they are in God's eyes. So understanding who you are and that you're created in God's image and you're fearfully, wonderfully made is one thing. So the second thing is we... Um, try and connect them. So we have a networking called Healing Connections and connect them with actual specific services that are available in their area. So if you're in an urban United States setting um, with a drug uh, problem, then it's often a little bit easier than in our global communities to get someone connected and into service. So that's one thing that we do have right now in our community. So getting people connected when they're ready. Um, the actual curriculum is helping walk with women to start breaking down their um, the false beliefs that they have about who they are so that they start understanding that they are valuable and that there is um, purpose for their life and then moving toward healing. Yes? A little bit more to that. How do you get beyond, and you may have touched on this, So our, our teams are very intentional 
um, when we enter into a community to be balanced. So we work with the men and the women. And I think you'll see um, when we get the video up and running, if we do, um, then you'll see an example of it. Thank you. Um, But working with um, both men and women to improve communication between them, to improve understanding of who they both are in God's eyes, and then to um, come alongside of them and help them work through. A lot of times, that's what it takes is just to help them develop the communication skills. Um, So we are very careful not to um, create a conflict um, type, you know, like pulling myself up and pushing or deceptive type of approach at all. We try and really encourage open communication between husband and wife, building up both simultaneously as much as possible so that no one feels threatened. And um, it obviously has to be um, grounded in prayer because we have, you know, we have a spiritual enemy too. So that's an aspect that we always take into consideration. Okay. The heart of Africa, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, remote tribal villages are literally being transformed by a remarkable holistic strategy called Community Health Evangelism, or CHE, from Medical Ambassadors International. By teaching how to develop clean water sources and by implementing basic hygiene and sanitation, CHE is significantly reducing diseases. By improving farming methods and introducing new sources of protein, CHE is dramatically cutting malnutrition. By introducing profitable micro-enterprises, CHE is helping families. Does anyone else have any other questions or comments? Sorry. Turn it back on. Sorry about the technical difficulties. <laughs> Does anyone have any other comments or questions? Yes. It's Women's Cycle of Life, which is a component of CHE. So it's part of the curriculum uh, focused on the women's issues. And um, it's several dozen lessons within a larger curriculum of about four to 6,000 lessons. So, yeah. Yes? It's community. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it, there are clinicians who will incorporate the this type of um, curriculum into their clinical practice. In fact, we have we have one right over here, um, Jamie right here, um, and she's a nurse practitioner who also uses Women's Cycle of Life and CHE in her um, work. Um, so it can be a bridge. Um, you had a question. Yeah, I was just going to ask, um, 
So, so you're asking if there are times when women don't desire to see themselves as um, created in God's image? Um, or okay. to YouTube at the end of this. <laughs> there we go. That's the best one. Deep in the heart of Africa, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, remote democracy, profitable micro-entrapped. That's okay. Let's, okay, it, it should. Break the bonds of Okay. Okay. So let's go back to your question. You were asking about um, if there are women in some cultural contexts that don't see themselves because of their culture. They don't see themselves the way God sees them, or um, and if there's a barrier to them actually wanting to, so desiring it. Um, 
That's a really good question. We've worked in over 100 countries, and I haven't had any of our trainers give me feedback that when women hear or that when communities hear um, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and and are given sort of um, dignity, that they resist. Um, Although there there are other things that they may resist, um, in some countries where it's... um, predominantly another faith group. There may be some, obviously, resistance against um, Christianity or Christian faith. But as far as um, when you honor one another, that usually doesn't have um, a resistance. So we work in um, some of the stand countries, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, etc. And actually the men are asking for some of the courses that their women have had because they want... They want to know them too. So, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yes. are you guys a group that sends <coughs> the trainers to the, the people, or do you train the, you know, maybe it's the expat or the, mm-hmm. the local staff to do the work? Because mm-hmm. I'm actually going to an area to do that, mm-hmm. allowing, and this is kind of stuff that we would use, and I'm wondering is this Great. something that I can get? Just the resources to do, or would you come in and your organization does it? Right. So our organization is an equipping organization. So we equip um, other, we equip church groups, we equip other organizations, and we equip our own teams. So we have teams, like I said, in over 100 countries, but we also have other churches that ask. They say, oh, we have... We have some people who would like to get this training. Can you come? Um, so, and we also partner with organizations. Partners International Women is one that they go and they work with women all across um, the uh, Asia and African regions. And so we've <coughs> trained their team to be able to take this curriculum and, and do it for themselves. So if this is something that you're interested in multiplying, um, yes, that we would be interested in talking with you. Yes. Is the curriculum fairly generic, or have you adapted it for various contexts? Contextualized. Um, it is contextualized. So yes, and we have curriculum in multiple languages, etc. So the Maasai, um, the materials that we use in Maasai have been contextualized for their group, um, and we encourage anyone who is working with them to adapt it to fit the context so that they can relate. Yes, ma'am. Have you used your program in the area of human trafficking? Yes, it's a difficult one, extremely difficult. We're not um, predominantly focused on um, human trafficking. We do try to partner with other organizations and support them and network Um, But we do have lessons that raise the question in the community so that they start to identify what the the root causes of the trafficking are. And then as they can start to address those root causes, whether it's poverty, whether it's the wrong view of who we are as individuals, you know, like not valuing um, our girls, et cetera, then those are the issues that we, we really try to work on. Because once those beliefs change, then the behaviors, the behavior change follows. And then obviously the outcomes that we want to change, um, the long-term outcomes are what we're trying to change. Yes? So you mentioned um, like cultural practices like circumcision of women and, and Soto. 
And I'm just wondering how much progress you're seeing in things like that that are so ingrained. And I know with certain practices, women are considered less valuable if they don't participate mm -hmm. or things like that. But just mm -hmm. it would take a lot of change, I feel like, how uh -huh. much progress you've had in like a large cultural context and also mm -hmm. a personal level. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a team in uh, Africa that works mostly um, with the Maasai. Holly Freitas is one of our master trainers, and she worked specifically to um, bring HIV and AIDS education for their warriors. And so she trained um, 16 of their young warriors and showed them how HIV is spread. And so as they went through the CHE curriculum about HIV and AIDS, they themselves discovered wow, we have some cultural practices that we do, Asoto being one of them, the hospitality practice with the wives sharing being another one of them, a lot of the, those type of things that are putting our people at risk of dying from HIV and AIDS. So what she was able to do with their team, um, just guiding them, you know, working alongside of the Maasai, they determined that um, they wanted a health education video so they contextualized HIV prevention education video with Maasai warriors, with Maasai elders. Um, they made a movie, and it's like 30-minute long, I think, movie with all Maasai actors and speakers, and they, they told them the fire is coming. And what's the fire is coming? It's one of the Maasai stories that talks about one, a Maasai man who was so foolish, he knew this huge fire was coming to his village and it was going to destroy everything, and he just ignored it. And they laugh their heads off at it because they, they see him as being such a fool. Well, this story that everybody in Maasai land knows um, communicated the, you know, the effect of HIV and ignoring HIV what it would be what it be doing to them. And so they told the story, they used it, and then a year later, after they um, implemented this intervention in the villages, they went back and did an evaluation. And it was remarkable, the changes. They started saying that um, women could refuse to, do, to have sexual relationships with visitors. They started to say that they could use... Um, condoms to protect themselves. They started saying that um, this was in the intervention village compared to the um, control village. The, the girls could um, refuse to have the Esoto practice on them. So it was really transformational as far as their belief systems. And that is something that we do have good data on. So um, I'd be willing to you know, talk to you more about it. But yeah, it does, does make a difference and change. Okay, anyone else? Hey, well, thank you very much um, for your time and your patience. Here's our, um, our website, our Facebook page, if you're interested in getting connected with the Women's Cycle of Life or with the, the CHE um, trainings. They're listed on our website. And um, we also are connected with the Neighborhood Transformation, which is more of a U.S.-based urban um, approach. And so that one is still under development, and um, we're just praying that God will continue to grow it so that we can um, act locally as well as globally. Um, yeah, so thank you very much.